welcome back to another episode of Fantastic Voyage, where we talk about David Bowie. Today we are talking about Side B, Station to Station, 1976 album. I am Jesse. And I'm still John. And we're at that part where we talk about the album cover. Uh, It's a picture, or a still, I guess, from uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, where he's entering the spaceship that will... Minor spoiler alert for the movie, maybe? I don't know. Uh, It's a cool picture. Uh, It's black and white on a white background with a white border and just red... Almost no spacing, station to station, David Bowie. Uh, great. You know, the, the picture is, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, but I really like the branding of the album with just the big block, thick red lettering. I think, I think it looks really cool. The style of it's really great. Yeah, like, at first sight, it might seem like lazy or something. You know, plain black and white cover, just, you know, the text might look plain. But I think the packaging is something that Bowie always put a lot of thought into. And, you know, a lot of his artwork and inner sleeves, like, they've they've always been important to him. And, you know, this one being so plain and with no spaces between any of the words, I think isn't really as plain as you might think. I think that's, like, a statement in itself because it comes off as very blunt. You know, it's very plain, which is drastically different from, like, his previous albums or, or even just his previous characters or whatever. You know, his yeah. outfits were always colorful and vibrant, you know, Starman and glitter and all of that. And... Now, now he's just, in a formal suit, right? And, and it's just deadpan now, and it's just like black and white. And you know, the the thin white duke was somebody that Bowie called a, a would be romantic with absolutely no emotion at all. So, you know, I think like this no spaces, the plain text, the plain cover. I, I think that all encompasses who the thin white duke is. Well, and is it kind of maybe drawing inspiration from like Kraftwerk? Those I, I see a lot of their album covers seem very simplistic. Or but those are, are those, reissues. Those are reissues. Okay, yeah. why do I never see? I can never, I've never noticed what their original albums even look like. I only ever see those like on Spotify and stuff. Yeah, they kind of have them. They all look like symmetrical and they're co- yeah. different colors and stuff. Okay. I, I actually do have a, uh, an like an original Autobahn album. And so you get the, That's the like one a before picture this. of the Speedway. Yeah. Right. But what's also kind of annoying with those Kraftwerk reissues is, I mean, they're, they're fine, but they, they ignore the pre-Autobahn period where they were more of like a Kraut rock band and less electronic. Okay. Granted, that period isn't as good for them, but like it's still, it's, it's still good though. Uh, you know, it would almost be like uh, Bowie not like reissuing like the man who sold the world, right? Hunky, okay, or not maybe not hunky dory, but like you know, space. Well, the man who sold the world, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's well worth a, a reissue. Yeah. There's, there's still some good stuff on there, but well, and I don't even like how they, and I, I know it, it has to do with licensing and stuff, but it, it really, I think the reason why I didn't collect the box sets is because they left the '67 self-titled album out, the, the recent uh, Parlophone boxes don't mm-hmm. include the Deerham uh, album naturally Is that because and, he doesn't own the rights to it yeah i think so yeah. and that really bothers me i i couldn't com- i couldn't uh buy the complete I-, I couldn't collect the complete thing without it being complete so that's why i just haven't purchased any of those yet which is kind of eating away at me in a, <laughs> in a way but it would have maybe eaten away at me more had i had it without that album which as we've mentioned many times that we have a soft spot for so yeah, uh, cool album cover. It definitely, I, I definitely picture this album cover when I listen to this record a lot. Yes. <laughs> oh, you do too. Okay, that's I do fine. that with most albums anyway. I this guess, one but... especially. Yeah. <laughs> um, the original 
photo was or the the, the image was obviously in color um, and a reissue. Uh, I guess starting in the '90s, I think they started reissuing it with that color photo for a while. But Bowie in '76 said, "I, I want this to be black and white." Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes the red pop too, which is cool. It's a good contrast. It's great, yeah. And, and I've always associated that image of him on the front as being what he looks like as the intro to the title track. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, that's this, this is the thin white Duke. You know, like, even oh, though it's Thomas Jerome Newton, kind of looks like a, well, it's, it is a spaceship. It's that kind of resembles the, it, electronic noises, right? And, it, and it's also like that first song is a takeoff. You know, I get that. I get that a train and a spaceship are a bit different, but, you know, the train is just a metaphor for a, a journey anyway, as we discussed on side yeah. A. So that's just what it represents to me, this cover. It's a journey. It's a venture. And he's, he's kind of looking like a, an Imperial general from Star Wars or something. So probably a <laughs> yeah. dark journey that we're about to go on. And uh, that's, what, you know, as we hear on the title track, it is kind of what we go on. So, yeah. yeah, a very, very fitting picture for the music, I would say. Yep. So... Iggy Pop's girlfriend goes on a journey uh, on the first song on this album, or this side. TVC15, allegedly about a dream that Iggy Pop had of his television set devouring his girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, I love rock music with a humorous edge, and I love when it gets absurd. And this is certainly an absurd song, as you just outlined. I mean, all the way down from the story to even the piano. You know, it's a very old-timey, honky-tonk kind of style of playing, which comes off as very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It kind of has uh, the same ethos as, like, Bowie's first album that we were just talking about. Yeah. Where it's kind of silly and and, and very playful. Yeah, and and simple. Uh, It's like a 1-4-5 chord progression. Yeah. Alomar described the verses as being a, a bit of a drone. I've also seen them described as like a, a car failing to kick into second gear, and that's because each bar starts with the same note, which I, I think it's C or something. Yeah, yeah it is C. Yeah, and it's almost like a hip hop thing where you have a loop that gets sampled. It and is repeated. kind of like a loop. Yeah, it, it, that's very customary, or it is very customary for like a, a hip hop song will typically have like a sixteen bar verse, which each bar circles back to where it started. Yeah. If there was like an instrumental version, I'd love to play it so we can really focus in on that. But you no, know, it just, it just that the, 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 the music repeats itself during the verses. It just, it's an endless loop. It's just a cycle going around and around. And I think his vocal cadence just matches it perfectly. It works so well with it. Like the way he says, uh, It's like he's starting to say the sentence, and then he's like starting halfway from the last line again. Like she th- crawled right in my. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't. She crawled right in my. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't finish. A bit. He yeah. stutters almost. Um, and he restarts and rephrases. He's like, "I'm gonna say it this way." Nope, I'm gonna say it that way. Yeah. And it oh, and and the way it it, it ascends and then descends again, just absolute masterful vocals on this one um and yeah and the lyrics are just crazy uh but great i mean he he's horrified uh you know his girlfriend's gone um i guess he's speaking as iggy pop in this or you know or just taking mm-hmm. inspiration he's talking in the first person that his girlfriend's been eaten by a tv 
And he's contemplating jumping in after her and being with her for just a short time or something. I can't remember the exact <laughs> lyric, but yeah. Um, very uh, poltergeist. Very The Ring. The Ring and the yeah. out of the TV. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they drew any inspiration from this consciously or not. Well, I wonder if there's some kind of a roundabout metaphor here to somebody up there likes me. Uh, hmm. Because on a song like that, Bowie rambled about how we're being consumed by our television sets figuratively. And TVC15 is talking about that in the more literal sense. Uh, it could be yeah. purely coincidence and probably is, but that's just something that kind of crept in my, into my mind. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, the he has a moment with televisions in The Man Who Fell to Earth, too, where he's he can watch multiple TVs at once, and then he, you know, get out of my head, like he freaks out. <laughs> You kind of do that at home. You've well, got two TVs in your living yeah, room. Yeah, I, I have two TVs in my ba- It was like kind of primarily for like an NFL Sunday. It was one of those things where I got the guys coming over. I'll just get this TV set up for this one day, and then I kind of just left it there. And <laughs> I, I posted a picture of my basement once, and somebody commented like, really? You got two TVs? Like, what are you doing with two TVs? And I decided to just, I think I said something like, oh, I'm just trying to really get into character. I'm Thomas Newton. I'm really yeah. taking the podcast <laughs> seriously. I'm getting in character for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really love the guitar work on this one too. Um, it's Alamar and Slick uh, both playing. Um, and Bowie sustains a note throughout the entire verses, and it sounds it, it's really cool. You can hear it. It's not really buried, but uh, it's kind of low in the mix. But I, I love how it just has this really droning sound that we've mentioned so many times. It's another one of those things where it's very audible on headphones. I really focused in on yeah. that part oh, when I had the headphones yeah. on. And, and yeah, that I think that's the kind of uh, the, the part that connects each song to each other. You know, yeah. These songs kind of have, very, they differ in style, but they all kind of have a drone or a reasonable facsimile yeah. going on. So yeah, all three of them playing there. And then I love in the, I guess it would be the bridge, the transition, transmission part, uh, where I believe it's Alomar is just kind of chugging along. Oh, just absolutely love that part. And then the chorus, the, the riff is great. That's a, you, you get really locked into that. Oh, God, what really a groove. Yeah. 
Well, I think that kind of the repetitiveness of those grooves and just the fact that those grooves kick so much ass, it's... I also find, I kind of mentioned hip-hop earlier. I find that when I'm with people who are primarily musically of a hip-hop background, which many of my friends are, I'll play stuff like this. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm also a huge hip-hop fan myself, but when I'm wanting to, to play stuff for them that, that isn't hip-hop, it's usually, like, something off of this LP. You know, it'll be, like, this song or Golden Years or Stay or something, you know. It, like, it's very funky stuff with a beat and with an edge to it, uh, I think like talking head stuff is a good transition too. Like oh, yeah, this, this stuff is all like it's all different from hip hop. It's a lot different, but they share the odd similarity here and there that might not make it sound like a totally awkward transition to their ears. Yeah. And I just love the the hook too. The oh my TVC one five uh oh like TVC one five it's <laughs> uh oh like that's <laughs> great. Again, yeah, it's that a little bit of humor. Uh, but great singing, great, just great everything on this one. Uh, Maisie really, really loves this one. Maisie's my one-year-old daughter, and she goes, oh, 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 oh. Um, a, a few nights ago, actually. I've been playing this album a lot, so she's heard a lot of songs from this album. And uh, we put her down to sleep, and about 20 minutes later, we heard noise coming from her room on the field to go check on her and she was just singing this song just on her own you know she we thought she was sleeping but no. you're, you're very fortunate to have a one-year-old that likes tvc on five you're in a very small percentage of people on this earth i'm sure they can they can say the same she likes golden ears too we she's bowie sings it she walk around she's nodding bowie sings it yeah tvc one five um this is a top 10 bowie song for me comfortably Whoa! Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I I don't know if I see that the same, but I I respect the hell out of that choice because we mentioned on the last episode that I think there's like three songs I would highlight as my favorites. It was Station to Station, it was Word on a Wing, and it is this okay. song is yeah. is the, is in fact the third. Something I was meaning to ask you was if there was another album this song could fit on, where would you see like what what album would you would you pick? Uh, okay. Um, well, there's a few. Okay. Uh, I mean, I could see it. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. I could see it on Young Americans. I could also kind of see it on Scary Monsters, though. Very close for what I was thinking. Lodger? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Lodger and Scary Monsters are of the same universe as far they're as back I'm to concerned. back. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the reason I think it sounds like something off Lodger is because it, like, it's kind of quirky. It's kind of weird. It's kind of catchy and and playful and funny and I guess I associate those qualities with Lodger and then something that blew me away is that when I was reading Nicholas Pegg's The Complete David Bowie I stumbled on a quote from Carlos Alomar where he said Bowie really wanted it fucked up like when we did Boys Keep Swinging kind of loose and stupid and that's exactly what I love about a track like TVC15 like yeah most of my favorite pop artists whether that's the Beatles whether that's Brian Jonestown Massacre whether it's Foxygen or even something really out there like the Fiery Furnaces there's a looseness. The fiery furnace is a great name. <laughs> Very good name. Uh, th- th- there's a looseness in the way that they all carry themselves, which is maybe a bit of a vague term, but I think looseness, like it really allows for a lot of character and a lot of humor and, and for fun to find its way on a track. And it- it's kind of like the ethos on Fill Your Heart making its way back onto a Bowie album, which is a welcome curveball on any album really, but especially on kind of like a more dark and tortured album like this. Yeah. I think this is maybe the, the pick me up we needed to kick off side B. Yeah, absolutely. 
it, it's a great yeah start to this second side. Some of his vocal deliveries are very tongue in cheek too. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's a car revving up. And cookie monster or something. Like the car won't turn over. Yeah. Yeah. A cookie uh, monster. And, okay. and like something that I love about Station to Station is like every little minuscule detail on this album is so perfect. Like every second, all the little things, like, like the way that he goes to start the first verse, mm-hmm. like just the perfect punctuation. Like he, couldn't have made like a second on this album sound better than how it did. Yeah, like it's just yeah. I don't know. He, I mean, th- this is just such a good album, and uh, yeah, another great song on it. Song builds great. Like the by the end of this song too, it feels a lot. It feels big. Like it, it's built itself into something similar to how Wind kind of does too, in a totally different way. But we were just talking yeah. about that album. Um, yeah, there's another one that was played by the infamous DJ at my wedding. Right. Yeah, this was... I, I remember, I had mentioned I Young Americans came to mind, and then it was like, well, Young Americans is a little little bit of a, like, not a slow bird. It's like a mid-tempo song. It's like, I need more of, like, a poppy, dancey kind of thing. Oh, did and you request this one? Yeah. yeah. It was, the, I, I specifically remember requesting Young Americans and TVC15. There's yeah. probably some more, but, or maybe there wasn't, I don't know. But definitely those two were, were my doing. Have you noticed the very sort of low ooze, the, like the backing vocal that hums over the lead vocal line in the chorus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's, it's not very present, but it's there. Yeah, and it, when I was listening to it on headphone, I had never noticed it before. And I guess because a lot of these songs are very dense, a lot of stuff gets lost in the mix, and this is why I... Is that more it. present on the Maslin mix? Probably, yeah. yeah. And, and, and definitely more prominent when you have headphones in that are kind of canceling out all the all the outside noise. Um no, it's it's very subtle, but it, it adds to the atmosphere and it creates once again like a bit of a droney or like a wavy feel, which is kind of similar to the rest of the album. And the Maslin and Bowie uh, both playing saxophone in the background adds to that kind of waviness too. Yeah, and it's maybe that's why I was just trying to play it a second ago to try to see if I could find it. And I couldn't. I guess that's because there's so much, so many moving so parts. So much going on. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, for such a simple what appears to just be a novelty song. I mean, it really, I mean, it, lyrically it is, but from a musical perspective, there's so much going on that maybe that's the, why it's our, one of our favorites on the album is because it's not just your average novelty song. It's not, you know, I, I like fill your heart, but this is better than fill your heart. You know, this is, uh, yeah. yeah, this, this is a great song. This is, this is a really great song. And it's one of the reasons why, uh, this is one of his great albums. Yeah. There's, there's not really any misses on it. Yeah, it's close between this and Station to Station for my favorite song on the album. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's it's not close for me, but like that's not a slight to Stevie yeah. C Five because you know Station to Station is like I don't know, it's just it's so hard to compare something yeah. to Station to Station. I, I think I think they're both top ten though for me. Um, there's a there aren't many songs on this album that aren't near the top that aren't in contention. Yeah, in contention. In yeah. top tension. Well, I I don't think anything other than these two come close to the top ten, but they're definitely not like outside the top uh, seventy five or hundred. It definitely. But another great song coming up. That's stay. Um. So this one was yet another attempt at reworking 
John, I'm only dancing again, specifically the the disco version. Should have been called John, I'm only dancing again, again. Yeah, or one last time, maybe. Um, yeah, this is, I think, a product of, as we mentioned on the last episode, Bowie was starting to struggle uh, in in many ways, um, and I think his creativity. It, the inspiration he was drawing from Los Angeles was drying up. So it was just like, uh, okay, let's take another stab at this song. And what I've read is he basically said, Carlos Earl or slicky as he called him, like make this song great. And they kind of just returned it to him and said, here's what we've got. And what they gave back to him was definitely the best version of John. I'm only dancing. Yeah. This, uh, it it, it kind of sounds like a young American song with a bit more of like a vicious edge, right? It's like young Americans with some spice in the pan. A little, yeah. A little more of a punch. Well, and I think, now I have also read that Slick felt a little bit of resentment t- towards Alomar. He kind of thought like, you're taking my job, which he kind of does after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alomar collaborates with him for the late 70s. Slick doesn't. And I like they're dueling on this song. They're going back like they're, you know, Slick kind of dominates the beginning and then Alomar takes over. And it sounds like two guitarists like at war with each other. And it's the outcome is is great. I mean, it, it doesn't sound it still sounds cohesive. Yeah. I, I think that competitive nature brings out the best in musicians. I mean, even if there is some animosity, but I know like cream was infamous for that like you know uh <laughs> try being in a band with ginger baker right <laughs> yeah and like you know and, and jack bruce and, like they would always like be just vying for the next like solo opportunity and they're always kind of like all right like you did your thing now it's my turn and now i gotta try to one-up you and that was kind of the spirit of cream um who obviously uh ronson was a huge fan of so that kind of creeps into bowie's world a little bit but yeah, that, that, that competitiveness, I think, definitely comes... Maybe that's where the viciousness comes, though. Maybe that's why this is different from Young Americans, is it kind of sounds like there's a, a bit of a fight going on. Yeah. Well, kind of similar to television, too, with the dueling guitarists. We were just talking off-camera about how much we love the album Marky Moon by television. Arguably, or at least, in my opinion, like the best guitar album it's, of, of all time. If not, it's, it's right there. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Verlaine would... The Bowie covers them, Kingdom Come. On. Yes. yes. Just going to say, we'll get to there yeah. eventually. Not too far from now. But yeah, Tom Verlaine and Richard Lloyd, uh, two great guitarists, just kind of passing solos back and forth, and great lead lines throughout those. Uh, yeah, we should do an off-topic uh, episode on <laughs> television. Marquee Moon. Yeah, you know, this is like a, a young Americans track, but it, it's it's way it's way harder, and this is kind of like the cocaine coming out now. Alomar <laughs> said the track was recorded very much in our cocaine frenzy. Now, were they all on blow? I think so. Cause like you know, I I, I imagine Slick was if he yeah, was staying like, up all night with him and stuff. Slick, I can see like him being more like, yeah, man, we were fucked right up for this one. But Alomar always struck me as a guy who was like, you know, I thought David looked like shit. I told him he needed to get his life on track. I never pictured Alomar ever doing it. Maybe he was too, but I, I, for some reason I have a harder time picture Alomar being on blow. He just carries himself a bit more, I don't want to say like pretentiously, but he just seems more professional or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I see that. But yeah, it's definitely like a, a cocaine kind of field song. I, I think the chorus is very brilliant. He sings in a very odd and kind of disjointed pattern. 
Yeah. This is another reason why I think it sounds like a, a Young Americans track, but drenched in that Station to Station paranoia. You know, that's the Station to Station spin that he puts onto that soul sound of Young Americans. Yeah, it's still, it's very disco, but it's, uh, yeah, it's got that, it's got that darkness, it's got that drone, which is called this episode Drone. <laughs> I don't know why we keep saying that, but it's a drony album. I guess this is also similar to Width of a Circle in the sense that he's kind of like giving the spotlight to his musicians again. Like the, the musicians, of course, are from entirely different universes. I don't mean that those songs sound the same, but, you know, uh, Slick and Alomar and Davis and all of them, like they're, they're totally different from like Ronson, Boulder, and Woods and Woodmansey, but Bowie's kind of throwing them a bone the same way he did for the other guys. And I actually jotted this down, uh, just like the timestamps, Bowie enters the song at the 1 minute and 17 mark and leaves at the 3 minute and 50 minute mark while there's still 2 minutes and 27 seconds left in the song. So yeah. that's 3 minutes and 44 seconds of no Bowie on a song that's 6 minutes long. So like over half of the song is David Bowie-less. He kind of comes in and then makes a quick exit. And then yeah. the outro is just like, all right, this is this is my band and here they are and they're great and they're, you know, yeah, and they're great. <laughs> and... I don't think this is because he had a lack of ideas or anything. Um, or we, maybe he, like we mentioned his ideas were kind of drying up, but, you know, sure, he's giving the musicians a spot to shine, but he did, you know, write this chord structure. It is his chord, so it is his music, at least compositionally. But I also think there's something to be said about that, like, on an album like this one, where the underlying theme is isolation, you're probably going to want lots of moments like this where there's no singing and you're just left to ponder. Right, because that's what you do when you're in isolation. I mean, Lord knows we have experience doing that over the past couple of yeah, years. And yeah. In those isolation moments, you know, your brain is sort of just left to its own devices. And when someone's talking or singing, you're not exactly in isolation. You know, you're in their company. Yep. So I think the vocalist moments make this, uh, yet again, another kind of cohesive addition to this album. And it, it helps a track like this kind of really tap into Station to Station's identity. Well put, yeah. It was played live lots. Yes, it became a regular fixture in fact it was the most played song on the album uh, i actually had this written. like all time yeah, yeah so this was played 431 times which is the most from this album and so, yeah different versions of guitarists going back and forth too like, yeah I, I think that's kind of why, why i was mentioning like with with the circle he did that for live and he did this all the way up until like the 2000s right, right. so a lot of different guitarists like uh, Adrian Blue. Adrian Blue. I was just gonna say, there's that Stacy Hayden. There's uh, there's video of that, like uh, you know that show in where is it? Some like Copenhagen or something. No, where is it? I can't remember where it is. Is it in Germany? I can't remember where it was. But there's that one concert, like DVD or whatever. It wasn't a DVD at the time, obviously. It's, it's I think it's like '78 maybe, and uh, Belue's in like a he's in like a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> he doesn't. He just looks like a tourist. Uh, I'm, I'm almost expecting uh, sunscreen, you know, lathered on his nose as he's playing. Like but a Halloween costume. Yeah, that's one of my with favorite. With a map in his left hand. And yeah, a, <laughs> that's one of my favorite versions back, yeah. of this song anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously a great song to do live too because people love coming to shows to see David Bowie. But, you know, rock fans also, they love seeing people shred. You know, they yeah. love coming to watch and see people shred. So, yeah. Definitely a good... There's a reason this one got picked as the most uh, frequent live song from the album. This is not one that I would... Well, because I feel so strongly about two other songs on this one, on this album, 
um, is why I don't ever consider this one of my favorites, but it's one of my, it's a top 50 Bowie song for me, again. Just great guitar song. And it's Bowie, and it's, you know, his best take of a song that he kind of never quite nailed until now. And I, and I, I don't know, maybe we're just calling it, maybe we're attaching it too much to John, I'm Only Dancing again, but it's very, very similar. Well, I guess where it gets very different is lyrics. Lyrically, right, yeah. Right, and yeah. and they're, they're, they're sad lyrics in a way. Uh, they're, they're littered with self-doubt. I mean, look no further than the chorus. He's singing, stay, that's what I meant to say, or do something. But what I never say is, stay this time. I really meant to so bad this time, because you can never really tell when somebody wants something you want to. So I guess what I'm reading here is that he's running into trouble whenever he's trying to confide in someone, right? Like, he's, he's unable to find that person to stay with him. And why he feels so isolated maybe has a root problem, which is that he's struggling to communicate, and he's, he's no stranger to writing about isolation in this manner. He did conversation piece a, a few years prior where he's singing about how he, he's invisible and dumb and no one will recall him. But when he tackles that theme on this album, it's met with like a much more metallic sort of soundscape, right? Like yep. there's a lot more angst and viciousness, which I suppose is those same feelings, but told through like this cocaine fueled filter. It's less of a sad boy wallowing and yeah, wallowing in self pity on right, an acoustic yeah. guitar. It's it's a thin white Duke. He's a lot more blunt, but for a so-called emotionless character, the Thin White Duke sure seems to be putting on a facade. <laughs> it's you know, kind of sad. You read into a song like this, and you know that whole persona really seems to be like this mask he's using to kind of hide how he's truly feeling. Well, and that's yeah, that's that's Bowie, yeah. And not only is this a good song for the guitars instrumentally, but I love the percussion. The percussion is so good. Like yeah. I've been into, uh, you're probably familiar with this this record too, uh, Curtis Mayfield, the Superfly soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm really into that right now, and I cool. love I love that sound so much. And I get that with the congas and that I really get that uh, vibe on this song. Yeah. I mean, the, the congas are kind of all over this album, but on this song in particular you really hear them yeah and they're really a a, a driving force in in the beat and great song i think from top to bottom it's got some some good lyrics it's got some good percussion it's got some good guitar playing yeah sure it's not my top 10 but it's it's a reason why this is one of bowie's best albums you know if this isn't like the best song on the album this could be the best song on another album though yeah yeah uh yeah I, i i love this song okay last song Wild is the Wind, a cover. Uh, yeah, so really only four brand new songs for this album. But And, and this is a song that he... It wasn't even a, a song that he thought, oh, let's cover it. He'd been wanting to cover Wild is the Wind for some time. I think he even wanted to cover it as early as 72. Yes. Uh, which is interesting. Um, now, I read that he locked himself and his band and the musicians into the studio, did a lot of coke, and made this song. Like, like they just kind of came out and like, okay, like we, let's bang out another song. we got to finish this album. And this is what came out. Uh, that's weird for such a lush song. It, isn't it? Yeah, I, that's why like, when I read it, I kind of thought like, I better mention this because it just doesn't make sense. But I could see that on the last one. Right, yeah, no, yeah totally. Yeah, this one is it comes out like he's relaxed and... You know, in a in a good place maybe, but nonetheless, those were the conditions. Uh, and it's it's a 
really, really nice song. Um, apparently Sinatra was at uh, Cherokee Studios, and uh, they met, got along really well. He played this song for Sinatra and said, what do you think? And Frank said, it sounds great. And that's kind of what cemented its place on the album, which is kind of a cool little story. This is right up Sinatra's album. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's crazy because, you know, this is a Sinatra-sounding song, but it's also, I think, another instance of this album being cohesive, which is crazy because, like, the songs are so different. you got Sinatra and you got Kraftwerk, but, you know, th- like, this is a whole different style of music from something like the opening track, but I think what gives this a little bit more cohesion is that the opening track tells us the European canon is here, right? Yeah. And the composer for this song is... Uh, Dimitri Tiomkin. I mean, uh, Ned Washington is the lyricist, but Dimitri Tiomkin is, is, of course, a Russian name, and he was the one who wrote the, like, the music for this song. And like you said, David was, was very keen on recording this track all the way back from the late 70s, or from the early 70s, and he had mentioned that it had a, a very good European feel and that it felt like a bridge to the future. And so I think it's no surprise that it winds up finally being completed on this album. On his Transition to Europe album. Because it's the, the that European feel is very yeah. prominent throughout the whole record. Um, you know, it's, it's a very moody record, and uh, Tiomkin was apparently, he was a very, was known for having a certain moodiness to his compositions. And, uh, you the, know, I, I think this certainly fits that. The, the mood on this song is just incredible. Um, it's very, very somber. Uh, it's it's in A minor, and then the next chord is D minor, so it stays in a, in with a minor feel. Uh, major chords sound happy, minor chords sound sad. That's kind of the the, the rule mm-hmm. of thumb. And the Nina Simone version is even more somber, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very it's slower. I was playing that last night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's really really good. So, and did she do a couple versions of this song? Or was it recorded really early and not included on an album until later? Well, I may because I, I mean I have the album. It's from 1966. It's called "Wild Is the Wind" and it's a live take that winds okay. up on the album. Because I, I mean I'm not really super familiar with her history. I just kind of know that album. I, I think she may have recorded it in the late 50s too. Okay. Um, I might have to check that. But anyway, yeah, it, it's a it's a great great vocal. By, Bo- by Bowie as well, on top of this very somber sound. Um, one of his best vocal takes, I think, uh, ever. What? It's very soft. The way he delivers it is it's beautiful. I'd like to rescind a comment I made during uh, one of our pinups episodes. I think I said something like, maybe he didn't sing as well on a couple tracks because he didn't write them and wasn't passionate about <laughs> the lyrics. Well, uh, well, yeah, like this is like arguably his best vocal performance, and he didn't write it. So, well, it's a bit, it's it's a different kind of song though. This isn't a mod rock song. Sure, yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah, uh, I think he even referred to this as maybe his best vocal or one of them. Yeah, uh, but it's not uncommon to see this pop up as like being his best vocal. Yeah, no. the version he does when he opens up Glastonbury uh, with this song. What a great way to open up this huge screaming festival crowd it opens up with wild as the wind uh it, that is a, a spine tingling performance uh with with garson and i think it's one of the last songs he ever performed live he did a short some kind of benefit show like post uh heart issue and reality tour this may have been the last song he ever did or was it changes he did like this changes and heroes or something like that which is mm-hmm. very interesting maybe knowing that this could be 
one of the last performances he ever did. Uh, he chose Wild as the Wind. So. And what's interesting about that, too, is what I, what I had those uh, set list stats pulled up, is this mm-hmm. is the least performed song on the album. He only did it 12 times. Wow. So, I, I mean, he probably didn't really do it. Save them for special yeah, occasions or, maybe, or something. Yeah. Um, that goes to show how much he played other songs from this album, maybe. I can rattle them off if you're curious. Well, I think he didn't play Golden Years until Serious Moonlight. Is that right? I, I'm not. I just have the total count. Um, yeah. But judging by the count, that makes sense. Cause well, aside played... from aside from the Soul Train performance, but yeah. right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Rattle those off. Okay, so, Stay was played 431 times. Station to Station was performed 367 times. TVC15 performed 251 times. Golden Years 127. Word on a Wing 71. Wild as the Wind 12. Okay, that's that's good representation, like all around. I love how he opened up his Live Aid set with TVC15 too. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Chris O'Leary touched on Bowie's uh, final, increasingly manic repetitions of the title line to this song. You know that that part at the end, and he said that uh, the vocal is on such a grandois scale that no actual human being seems deserving of its efforts. It's a monumental performance seemingly intended for a monument itself. I think once again he sums that up very well because, you know, sometimes I'll attempt to replicate a lyric on the show, you know, I'll sing a part to emphasize a, a certain thing that I like, but I'm not going to attempt to do yeah, this though, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll sound like a, a complete and total fool, right? I mean, that ending is just like, uh, like he said, no, it doesn't even seem like it's humanly possible and... This is commonly referred to as Bowie's best vocal performance. I don't know if it's my favorite, uh, but that's just because I might prefer like a different style or a different tone. But when you're talking about the type of performance that you think is the best because it's like the most impressive and would be like pretty close to being humanly impossible to replicate, this is probably number one. Yeah. Or you could make a very, very good case for it. Lady Grinning Soul would be up there. They're kind of cut from the same cloth, yeah, which is and why... and they are very similar. Like, yeah. when we mentioned that, like, you know, no slight to Roy Bitten, but when we were talking about how we might have liked to see Garson on a few of these this songs, is this, this is, like, the song that just is just seems like it's right in his wheelhouse. It screams, Mike Garson, please play on me. Though, though yeah. Also, an, another one that kind of lives in the same world is Loving the Alien. Uh, great. One of, that That's up there for one of my favorite vocals ever. Um, and another song that I think would have done... Uh, if Garson played on that, that would have been really cool too. I think he really strives in those songs that are in kind of like a, a haunting key, yeah. a song that has a haunting yeah. tone, but then it, it simultaneously has like those beautiful undertones like yeah. Lady Grinning Soul did, right? Yep. And I, I guess that's probably why I also see this as like another James Bond type of song. Oh, I, yeah. I saw Lady Grinning Soul as, yeah. as being yeah, like that, totally. right? Uh, yeah, this, this could have been a, a great Bond theme song. I'm just gonna play um, the my Dennis Davis highlight. Is it the fill that I know what you're? Play it, please. Don't you know your life way it ends that acapella part it's oh man that just like i feel every single hit in my chest every time i listen to this it's yeah incredible well, and, you know when we were uh 
you know, getting ready for this episode, I was playing this album a lot, and, you know, I've always loved this song, but it, it, I kind of didn't think it was one of, like, maybe the, the better songs on the album, and I, I think the reason for that was that I, I, play, I held the vocals in such a high standard, and I thought that maybe the music was lacking, and it was that fill in particular where I was like, all right, you know what, like, I was... I was I was tripping, you know. The music is is <laughs> phenomenal, yeah. You know, well, it, like maybe not equally as good, but good enough where it's not like uh, night and day. A good vocal performance, bad, you know, music. The music is really really good on this song. I, I really I really like how the the acoustic guitar is very present in it, um, but also like there's a phased electric guitar playing as well, and it, it gives it that spacey droning feel. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what I'm so impressed. With this album is is how how cohesive these, I mean it look is. At, look at these songs Wild as the Wind yeah. TVC One Five Station to Station yeah it's cohesive Golden Years, Word on the Wind all completely different but co- yeah like okay. how I don't know yeah it's the side effects of the cocaine I don't know but it's uh yeah a, a very oddly cohesive record and one of his best uh, yeah. okay for this song is this the best cover he ever performed. Yes, I mean, I, I'm really, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't want to say yes and then regret it five minutes later when something comes to my mind. But <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, yeah, pro- yeah, I, yeah. Like, I'll, let's just put the stamp on it right now. His best cover. Yeah, yeah I think so too. The only one that I, I, I really like, Night Flights. I, I love his cover of that. Oh, but, I see. I'm not as high on that. I mean, maybe just because I love the original so much, but. Um, but I, mean, I think sor- this is... sorrow is good, but probably not as no, yeah, not as special as this song. Yeah, I mean sorrow is special. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah, this is. His I think so cover. too. Yeah, and and, I, and what he's covering is probably it's the Nina Simone version. Yes, he's not covering the, the Johnny Mathis. No, no, yeah, was, yeah. he's he's yeah. doing this in the same manner that she did it. Yeah, and she, I mean, her version is great. But I it would probably cements this as it being his best cover version is that I do probably prefer this to her version. And I really, really, really like Nina Simone's version. So that's... Saying a lot. It, it is saying a lot, for sure. All right, so that wraps up the tracks from side B of Station to Station. And now we will shift over to the listeners' comments. Well, I got a good one here that I, I can start us off with. It comes from at Anders in Vienna, who says, The L.A. record. Much as Heroes was the Berlin record and Young Americans was the Philadelphia record, this was the L.A. record that captured the superficial, aged, dangerously dark, post-hippie faux-spiritualism of 70s L.A. He never managed to make a New York record, though. And that's... It's true that he never... I mean, he did a New York sound when he would, like, emulate, you know, like, Lou Reed on a song like Queen Bitch, but he never really made a whole record out of that, did he? What about Blackstar? Blackstar gives you New York because, like, that sort of, like, the... The sax, the, jazz, the yeah, jazziness, the maybe. Well, yeah, but, but that's it's, it's different. That's, like, modern New York. Like, that's not the same. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it definitely uh, captures all those descriptors that Anders mentioned, yeah. That this is this is L.A. in a maybe not in a nutshell, but it represents L.A. very very well. Yeah. Bowie comments says uh, you don't get a better combo of lyricism and instrumentation. Also, word on a wing is supreme, and I will die on that hill. 
perfectly sums up Bowie's theology at this stage of his life going into the Berlin era. Yeah, it's it's his cry for help. It's his, I, I need something to pull me out of this. If I can't physically pull myself out of everything that's going on in, in L.A., I'm a movie star now, I'm a coke addict. He needed to get out. And yeah. to get And, you know, Berlin, like they mentioned, is kind of where he needed to go. It's a safe haven. Yeah. I think I was reading it or listening to an interview where he said that he felt like there was always a wall between him and everybody else when he was, you know, he couldn't communicate, which is ironic because he, he went to, to Berlin, Berlin with yeah. the wall. But no, I mean, that was obviously the, the right choice for him. And, you know, we talked about how destructive of a period this was and how he was getting into some, some really, you know, heinous ideology and some terrible stuff. It's, I'm very thankful that he made the choice that he did and, and eventually broke free and got out of it. Yeah, and and I think it was the side effects of cocaine. He said that he he moved from the cocaine capital of the world to the smack capital of the world because he didn't like smack, so he knew oh I'll be safe here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of I'm, I'm scrolling through. There, there's a lot of love for Word on a Wing. Um, Elson Gunn uh, says Word on a Wing is like Jesus by the Velvet Underground. It feels like a completely you're you're unironic. Uh, <laughs> We all we have to mispronounce the word on every episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we filled our quota. It feels like an urinonic a, a urine. Well, he was pissing in jugs at this point. Uh, unironic <laughs> prayer song. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's the, that's on the Velvet Underground self titled right. That's yeah. A, it's like a very short right. It's like Jesus help me find my proper place. Help me in my yeah yeah yeah. The, yeah those are very similar songs actually. I think Word on a Wing has maybe a bit more thought put into it, but I guess what what he's referring to is the sentiment. You know, it's a completely unironic plea yeah. to God. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Marina Lindsay also says Word on a Wing has to be the most heartfelt songs Bowie ever wrote. You can feel his pain. I often think it's odd that Bowie is sometimes thought of as arch or cool due to his image, as his lyrics are often so beautiful, even when you've no idea what they're about. Oh yeah, that's. I feel that there's a. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what half his lyrics are about. Yeah, and I think that. You know, the traditional idea of cool is to not be, sort of like, uh, sentimental and gooey or whatever, right? But I also think that the fact that he was, in, in my mind, does makes him cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but not to disagree with what you're saying, because yeah, that's typically looked at as not cool, but to me it is. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, word on a wing, beautiful. I mean, I, I mean, it, it's cool to have written word on a wing. You know, I, I wish I did. Yeah, and Marina, I totally relate to that. As we've mentioned on this show, I'm not as lyric uh, driven when I listen to to songs as Johnny is, but I still, I, I just know that they're good. Some, I, I know that the meeting is good, and sometimes that's like enough. Like, or I know that like the intellectual prowess of Bowie is is there and I don't have to necessarily understand it to appreciate it it's a weird weird relationship I, think, I have with his lyrics I think you know it's good because you know what everything else sounds like and it isn't that right yeah that's you know, that's a good point too uh, yeah well also just like I know maybe just enough to, to know that like I you know I know just enough of what he's saying to yeah and you I mean if you really want to try to deep dive into it you might not even find what what he's saying because he might not even know what he's saying for for all we know friend of the show justin waterman at waterman art 
and this is interesting, he says, Word on a wing was our second wedding dance. Might have went on a little long for our parents, haha. Our first dance was Thursday's Child. The album hadn't been released yet, so we had to use the video version complete with the running tap and cough. <laughs> the smiling emoji. Now, that's interesting because I was talking about when we did our side A episode of Station to Station that my girlfriend thought, hey, this would be a great wedding song. This is a love song, right? And I was like, no, but it, it could pass as one. So that's given me a vote of confidence that maybe I can't, I mean, I don't want to copy you and use it if you used it, but it kind of, I, I can totally see where she was coming from now because. Yeah, that's so, you, that's and, and you know what, I mean, obviously we know Justin, he's a relative of ours, he's our cousin. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that they used Word on a Wing as their second dance. So. Yeah, you would have been a, like two years old, maybe three years old um i i remember i remember i was a kid uh i was probably running around watching star wars or something with justin's sisters <laughs> we used to make star wars movies <laughs> anyway uh yeah that's really really funny I, I didn't know that and yeah thursday's child good shout uh that, that first wedding dance that's cool our family, our family is very Bowie we're, we're, we're very into so. Bowie. Yeah, we probably mentioned it before, but we actually had like a week for him uh, at Justin's house. At, at Justin's house, like about what, a week or a couple weeks. It was the Saturday. He passed on Sunday, and then six days later or something. Right. I always know that he died on a Sunday because there's the line on uh, "Girl Loves Me," which is where the fuck did, the Monday, fuck did go, Monday which go. is yeah. what I would probably say if I died on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Tony Williams says it's a brilliant album but the cost to bowie of those years in the states took take the gloss off cocaine addicted bowie could not persist and needed the french berlin years to recover both physically and artistically what i'm taking is that the and we mentioned this a few times the ideas were kind of running thin yeah oh definitely yeah i do agree that yeah like I, i think this album is great it's one of his best but the follow-up had he stayed in L.A. probably... I mean, if I was a betting man, which I am, I'd probably bet that the next album right. would not be anywhere close to as good as this because he was kind of already coming to the studio empty-handed anyway. I don't know if that magic would have reappeared... Probably on, not. On the, second, yeah. ...on the second go. Yeah, and yeah, the recovery, d- definitely, physically. And, and yeah, like artistically too, I guess, because he, yeah, the... the, the we, as we all mentioned, that it was drying up. Um, and Tony also mentioned that, yeah, it took the gloss off. There's no gloss on this album. This is a dark album. Like, I, or at least that's how I kind of read into that comment. Is like, you know, this is like, the yeah, you're looking at the cover. They literally yeah. took the color out of the photo. Yeah. And as we're young Americans is a bit more of a, a, a I guess maybe like the, the songs like, um, fascination, they get you feeling good. As where stay gets you feeling. I'm not sure how I feel when I listen to that one. Good but anxious. Good but anxious. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good way to yeah. put it. Yeah. I guess the old, like the closest you get to young American being replicated is is on uh, stay gold, on golden years. golden years yeah. and and I think stay. But even too, then, we were yeah. talking. It kind of had those sinister undertones. He's telling you to run for the shadows. Yeah, in oh. a very deep voice. So. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, the glosses. Stripped. There's no gloss on this album. Yeah. Or if there is, there's not much of it. <laughs> Lynn Spina at Lynn S57 says, A brilliant album. I saw the Thin White Duke live in concert in Toronto. Fellow Canadian. All right. In February 1976 and again in New York in March 1976. 
Bowie's performances were magnificent. Unforgettable concerts. Lynn has been a, a recurring uh, commenter, and I, I have to say, Lynn, over and above all, I'm just envious of the fact that you've been a Bowie fan, it seems like, for pretty much like your whole life. Like, you knew him as early as Space Oddity, or maybe even before that. Yeah. I am just so jealous that you got to sort of experience not only the concerts, but, you know, having the thrill of hearing these albums as they came out, being surprised at all the curveballs he threw us. Uh, yeah, I, I love hearing your input because you're, you're somebody who has uh, the sort of the first-hand experience of what it was like to be a Bowie fan in, in that legendary 70s run. Yeah, and you saw him in Toronto, uh, which is really cool because I think when you look up Station to Station on Wikipedia, the picture of him as the Thin White Duke on stage was taken at Maple Leaf Gardens. So that right, that would have yeah. been you would have been at that show. That's really really You're cool. There. Maybe yeah. you took the picture. I don't know. You took the picture. Let us know. <laughs> Send us the negatives. I mean, nobody will argue you if you unless they have the name of the person who did that. Whatever. <laughs> maybe maybe don't do that. But appreciate the, uh, the 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 comment nonetheless. And Paul Monaghan uh, says underneath there, uh, me Empire Pool Wembley May of seventy six never bettered and never forgotten. Uh, and Ian Mack, May 8th, 1976, my first time. So, yeah, there's a Bowie Isler tour roll call happening on our Twitter feed. It's really, really cool. Man, you know, my biggest regret in, you know, ever is I was maybe not into him enough. I was young, but on the reality tour, you were definitely too young. I would have been like, what, seven his, or something? Yeah, his, his final... six years older than me, so you would have been like 13 or Yeah, something. his his final... Yeah, I was I was 13, I think. Does anybody know that relationship? Like, do they know that you're the older... I think they know that we're brothers, but you're the older brother by yeah. six years. Yeah, I'm, you're I'm, 89, I'm 95. Right, yeah. I'm not years old. That's the, <laughs> year, the, the years we were born in. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think mom and dad were burnt out. They had seen him a few times, and we didn't go. And he was in Winnipeg, and I was thirteen. That that has kept me up a couple times, <laughs> especially after he died. Anyway, I'm not gonna. I, I definitely regretted. There was a night that Tom Petty was in town, and I'm not, you know, granted as big a fan of Tom Petty as you know some people are, but. He was in town, and I was kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, I think I had He'll something be back. going on that day. He'll be back. And he was, and he died, and I was like, oh. I, I guess there's a lesson to the story is whenever there's somebody that you're even remotely interested in, and they're playing in your city, go and see them. Because yeah. you never know when uh, you'll be stripped of that opportunity to see them. It, it It's just, uh, you kick yourself. And like you said, you, I don't like lose sleep over maybe not seeing Tom Petty, but it, it, it sucks. And uh, That was a great double bill, too. I was at that. Tom Petty show and Steve Winwood opened for him. I don't know what, why did I go to yeah, that? Yeah, oh, it was really. I've good. always loved the uh, that first Blind Faith album. Uh, I mean, the cover sucks, but it's a yeah. great album. He played uh, "Can't Find, Can't my, find way my Way Home," which home. is my favorite song yeah. off that album. Uh, what was I thinking? Irene, who goes by at Reeny Six on Twitter, says such a sentimental, romantic, and religious album, yet so hard driving and modern, as well as being broken and cynical. One of my favorite albums of his. So we could just delete the entire audio that we did and just post that. Yeah. You, you summed it up. We, it took us two hours to talk about this album. It took you two, two, <laughs> two sentences. Well put. Jeremy Weeb at JSTAR1973 has a very similar comment. He says, brilliant album, a blending of eras, 
combining some of the soul of Young Americans to the somewhat dystopian Berlin trilogy. The Thin White Duke is my favorite Bowie character slash phase. That's also something I think that we definitely agree on because we've been hammering home on that point for the last yeah. however many couple hours it's been. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it is, like I said, it's almost like that perfect 50-50 split. It's equal parts Young Americans. It's equal parts Berlin. And, you know, that's great because those are two completely different eras and different sounds. Yeah. So the mix of them is equally a great sound. We actually had two from Elson Gunn that we, we I have to read this one. Uh, I see the title tracks of this album and Black Star as twins. Um Actually, yeah, we talked about that. I worked with Elston Gunn at a bookstore for several years, and we became great friends. We speak daily uh, still to this day. And we have talked about how similar these albums are um, in the past. So I, I'm glad that, that you brought that up. Um, Martin Mucci, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, says, Absolutely, Doors to Something New. The initial song over ten minutes, uh, six tracks on each one. Yeah, it's very very similar, uh, like the construction of them too. Um, and then Elston Gunn says, "Station to Station" was about facing psychic death, and Black Star about facing physical death. Yeah, there's a reason why Bowie yeah. recycled that outfit for you know for the right. Lazarus video. I I think because I think even Bowie saw the connections well it's interesting because like he didn't necessarily kill the thin white duke off he kind of just it was a dark period for him that sort of just vanished right and probably haunted him because he talks about it very uh he's kind of very scared of that yeah period of his he life. says he looks back at it probably horror, like yeah. loomed over him and so I, I think it's very fitting that that's kind of the how he killed himself himself off was, yeah yeah, because he, he, you know, Ziggy, he literally killed, but the Thin White Duke didn't just die; it was probably always there, lurking and well, haunting him. He was dying, and he said, "Oh, I felt like I was dying before, so I'm going to revisit that." I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I know we we kind of don't like trying to pseudo psych and psychoanalyze him, but that's pro like that makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? Yeah, and I, I do think uh, it's interesting that they're kind of comparing these albums because I now that I'm thinking of it they are both cohesive albums that have a lot of different sounds on them as well as just being similar and with the title track being so long and all that. Yeah. Uh, I do think they are, there's, there's some different, you know, he's kind of rapping on girl loves me. He's doing a more of like a, a lush thing on dollar days. Well, is more sporadic on black star. Like that is another album of eclectic styles that eat, that sounds cohesive and where it sits in the album too. girl loves me. And TVC one five. There's yeah, the yeah. yeah, they're more alike than I than I maybe had realized, and just in case there was anybody that was wanting to maybe split hairs on what Martin said uh, about uh, the albums being six tracks, six each. tracks, yeah, each. seven on Blackstar has seven, but what he said was a dollar days, and I can't give everything away. He counts as together. Uh, well, and station to station is two songs, so there's seven. Enough, there's yeah. seven. There's just and there's seven songs on station to station. Because dollar days and I can't yeah. give everything away kind of bleed into each other in the same way that like Sergeant Pepper's and you know uh, yeah yeah with a little help from it. just another Beatles reference just in case we, we haven't done that yet yeah <laughs> anyway I think do we have room for one more bingo somebody yells let let's make that let's make that damn bingo card already and <laughs> tweet it out yeah well put it in the show notes since we're kind of doing uh our next couple episodes will be a best of 
and a movie maybe we'll have time we won't have to fully submerge ourselves into the into low maybe this would be a good time to do that yeah uh, we'll do that when we're not submerging into low because that's going to be another a lot to unpack in that album and uh, last but most certainly not least david who goes by at i did the iggy on twitter best handle that we've seen thus far phone call simpson Beh. Is this the Abraham Simpson who wrote the Itchy and Scratchy episode? Itchy and what? Oh, you must be some kind of crazy person. I'm sorry, but we have a substantial check here for a Mr. Abraham Simpson. That's right. I did the Iggy. David kept it sort... <laughs> sort and simple. Sort and simple. David kept it sort and simple. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep these in. <laughs> okay, uh... Eighth time's a charm. David kept it short and simple. Wild is the wind is Bowie's best vocal performance, and yeah, we that like we kind of mentioned earlier. That's not an uh, an unpopular opinion, and for good reason. Yeah. It's damn good. It's one of those ones where you don't want to try, especially that part at the end. You don't want to try doing it because you're just gonna look like an idiot. Yeah. Only. Few humans were, were possible of, of making that noise, and maybe he wasn't human, and maybe that's why he was able to, to, to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. As per usual, we appreciate these comments. Um, I, I just, I love this conversation, talking to so many like-minded people on, on Bowie. Uh, you had, Johnny, mentioned on Twitter that we're new to the Bowie Twitter community, but, yeah, you guys have totally welcomed us with open arms uh and and i love the engagement like I, well i don't know about you but i'm the type of person where it's like it, it, even if it's like something like material possessions like everything i have i need to be able to share it with somebody yeah. or else it's kind of worthless to me like you know anytime i, I hear a good song i read you know you read a good book you, you see yeah. a tv show you're always eager to talk to people about it absolutely and, I think that's what we're we've been doing with this, and it's been kind of fulfilling that for me. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all of the engagement because it's you know, being a fan of something isn't the same without that. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and thanks to we we didn't get through all of the comments, but thank you to everybody who put in your two cents because we appreciate all of the support and all of the engagement we get online. So final thoughts on Station to Station. I, there's, I don't really have much more to add, I think, between us and, and the listeners. I think we, we've summed this up very well. I think it's arguably my favorite album, maybe, that we've covered this far. I mean, Hunky Dory would probably give it a run for its money, but, you know, whenever I'm thinking of, okay, well, what's your favorite David Bowie album? Um, this is in consideration. This is definitely yeah, in consideration. For me, too. I don't, I don't know yeah. if it is, but... I, I really, really would have to to think about it, and it it, it might be this one, might be the next one. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but yeah, I mean this is this is one of his classics. I mean this is uh, this is one of the the first times that it was. I was sitting there and thinking, okay, well we're doing Station to Station next, and I was kind of getting anxiety. It was like, oh my god, like I don't even know what to talk about. I I really want to make sure I do this album yeah. justice because it's just. It's so it's it's just so good. It's just such a such a great record. I was spinning out on the side A episode trying to get my thoughts on this the title track out, and I, I think that's kind of just fitting the way that I I couldn't sum it up. I, I actually kind of failed to relay exactly what I was trying to say on 
on it. And I, but I think that kind of describes this album. I think Bowie was spinning out. I was spinning out just trying to talk about it. Him spinning out is kind of given this album the uh, like a, a unique perception. Like this album was kind of taken on like a bit of an urban legend. Yeah, it's in, impossible to interpret this album without thinking about all the wild stories we've heard about the recording process. Uh, some of it's true, some of it's false. But I mean, we do have a relatively accurate depiction of how this album was made, and and it's something that's kind of. I think crept into the way we listen to it and the way we think about it. Some might say that's sort of like an unfair advantage for this album, but but, but I would disagree. Ex- but because, it exists. It's yeah, it's and, there. You gotta I mean, take it. That's part of how we consume the album, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, the content itself isn't the end all, be all, in my opinion. And the means in which that content was created, it's always in the back of our minds. And so, for that reason, this album has always been. I guess what you can call, like, my manic escape album. You know, you get in one of those moods where you're just like, you know, fuck everything, I'm going to listen to Station to Station, <laughs> particularly the title track, you know. The the textures and soundscapes, they're all they're very cutting. It's the same reason that I love a group like Throbbing Gristle or This Heat. It's music where I can kind of navigate through brutality or navigate through chaos without actually having to fully commit myself to either of those things. And for that, I'll, I'll always you know, kind of have a special place for for this album. There's always a special time for this album for me. Back to how you were saying that it gives an unfair advantage to, to know the background and what was going on. There's nothing worse that you, you see this, oh, but would you think differently about Blackstar if he wasn't dying? Oh, you know, it's that's like, the biggest example. It's like, that. well, yeah, but he was. That literally yeah. is the whole I, purpose and identity of the record. Yeah, so I think those... And, and was, even, like, with how when it was released, like, that all matters. It, it all matters. matters. Yeah, I was just going to say it. Yeah. it. It matters. The, the same way that, you know, George Harrison made Brainwashed when he was dying, and it's a totally different You can't separate thing. those. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you can't. You and can't. he was so content with his death, like, George. Uh, Completely and, different spins on death. Yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Leonard Cohen also he had a yeah, uh, you want yeah. darker is kind of closer to the Bowie spin on death. Yeah, but I mean, ob- yeah, and uh, Alan Vega also had an album called It that he released. Okay. I believe that I that I really loved. That kind of he kind of knew that the, the the end was near for him too. But you know, when that's going into the songwriting, I mean, how could you ignore? You can't. It's it's the it's yeah. an elephant you're, in the you're room. Foolish too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, nothing, I don't think there's really much else to say. I think uh, I hope we did this album justice. I hope that you agree. I hope that you tune into our next episode where we kind of do a bit of a different thing where we talk about a movie. First, first one, yeah. We're gonna do a few movies, uh, as you know. Bowie is a, it's every bit a part of his chronological, as <laughs> every bit a part of the fantastic voyage we are on mm-hmm. as his music. I think, uh, yeah. We're we're gonna do the Man Who Fell to Earth next. And then I guess we'll do the Isolor tour. We'll do the live. Uh, Live at Nassau Coliseum, not the Nassau, uh, not Nassau Bahamas, but in New York's Long Island uh, arena. And then that'll be it for season three, the unofficial season three. Uh, we're flying through it. Well, I guess we'll also have the wrap up episode where we pick our. Oh, the best of the. Yeah, what do we call it? The best of the. Best of the mid- Who Can I Be Now box set best of. <laughs> yeah, the best of the American 70s or something. Yeah, maybe best of the mid 70s. Yeah, I don't know. What would you like. 
classified, what's the title of this period? I guess because the, the, the Berlin Trilogy is the Berlin Trilogy. Maybe this is the American. The best of the cocaine years. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll know, figure it out. Harsh. I mean, that, the, the title's uh, not too, no, it's too not important. It's, it's kind of inconsequential. Trivial, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. See you next time. We won't see you. We'll, you'll hear us next time. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Thank you for listening. I'm Jesse. I'm John. Catch you next time. No. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times that we fucked up the the ending of that. Yeah, we have no problem talking about uh, the, the Kabbalistic tree of life and Jewish mysticism, but we can't say goodbye. Can't say fucking goodbye. <laughs> anyway. Signing off for, for good this time. Uh, no, not for good, because we're not signing off for good. We're, see, we... is yeah We're, we, we're, we're going to be back. We can't do it. We'll see you next time. No, no we, we, we won't, won't see, see you. you. You'll hear from us next time. Yeah, the, the amount of <laughs> takes... It, it takes us, like, 20 minutes to say, today we're talking about station to station. Anyway. Signing uh, out. We're signing out. Bye. Bye. Yeah.